podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 16th of June. We're brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com and Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. It's a virtual privacy network. allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, keeps your data safe. LibertyShield.com, EPL VPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide, check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, uh, we are rolling through the Euros. Match day one is over. And yesterday, we had Portugal 3, Hungary 0 in Budapest in front of a packed house. Look, there's two ways you can look at the packed house. Number one, Hungary hasn't really taken the pandemic all that seriously. They have right-wing government basically a European version of Trump. Imagine Boris Johnson, but a bit more to the right, probably a lot more to the right. Um, So that's a worry, potential for infection, potential for a spread. That's a concern. However, it was great to see a full stadium. It really was great to see a full stadium of fans enjoying themselves. And if they'd been enjoying themselves in masks, it would have been a bit better, but like I say, Hungary, they think COVID's a conspiracy in their government. The leader of their government thinks COVID's a conspiracy. So it is what it is. Um, Hungary played well. They, they got beaten 3-0, but they defended really, really well. And unfortunately for them, just the sheer volume of quality players in that Portuguese team eventually told Portugal started out in a 4-2-3-1 with two holding midfielders. Almost as if they were going to bore their way through these Euros the way they did for, uh, five years ago now, at 2016. Danilo Pereiro, uh, Pereira started next to William Carvalho in central midfield. Quite redundant to have the two of them in there. There was no real need. You could have got away without either of them. You could have played Ruben Neves and Renato Sanchez. But at the very least, one of those two should have started. Now, Sanchez did come on and immediately just changed everything about the game. His his dynamism, his ability to just create chaos in midfield, his power running, just a quality player. When you look at how his career has worked out, he exploded onto the scene, obviously, at Euro 2016. Made that move to Bayern Munich. Had the disastrous loan spell at Swansea, and a lot of people still think that that's the player he is. He was badly used at Swansea. Byron was too soon for him. But since joining Lille, he's been outstanding. And he was a really important part in their title win this season. He's a really, really good player. It's just that people have this perception that when he flopped at Byron and he had that failure at 
Swansea as well. But Swansea was a mess at the time. And he was being used as a number 10, which just isn't his role. He came on, changed the game. Rafa Silva also came on. And Rafa Silva was involved in all three goals. Now, it took until the 84th minute for Rafael Guerrero to get the first goal. Rafa Silva with good work gets into the box. Short little pass to Guerrero. His shot takes deflection and goes in. Cristiano had been standing around for most of the game, having tantrums when the ball wasn't given to him or when it wasn't exactly where he wanted it. His only real notable involvement for 87 minutes was missing a sitter. That was it. And and having tantrums. In the 87th minute, Portugal win a penalty. Again, it's Rafa Silva involved. He's dragged down in the box by Willie Urban. Cristiano steps up, scores, does his celebration, makes sure everybody realizes it's him that gets the goal. That goal broke the all-time record for goals scored at the European Championship. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to him. He has put together, obviously, a ridiculously good career. And he was always going to break this record at some point because he scores so many goals and because he's played for so long. But I look at the guy in second place, Michel Platini, who's got nine. Cristiano obviously scored the second goal. He's now got 11. The second goal was a thing of beauty. Looked a little bit offside to me, but it was a thing of beauty from a team perspective. Because of those two goals, many outlets gave him man of the match. And all the talk today is about him. But his performance up until he takes that penalty was a disgrace. He was absolutely abysmal. Like Lewandowski and Kane were dreadful in their matches for Poland and England. But both were better than this. Both at least put in some effort. This guy put in nothing. Steps up, scores the penalty. Scores the second goal a couple minutes later. And all the hype's about him. He played in 04, 08, 12, 16, and now 2020. That's five European championships, and he's got 11 goals. Platini got all nine in one European championships. He scored nine goals in 1984 when France went on to win it. Cristiano was a kid. In 04. In 08 he played well. In 12 he played really well. 12 was his best Euros. In 16 he was largely poor. Scored some goals but didn't perform well. Portugal went on to win it. He got injured in the final. And it was him going off. That sort of spurred them on. They became far more about the team. Than let's all service this one fella. He was dreadful yesterday, but he gets two goals and he gets away with it. And of course, the fawning starts. Chris Sutton said, he missed that great chance, but you can't keep the man down. He's a genius. Because he scored a penalty. He scored a penalty that makes him a genius. He keeps going and you knew he would score the penalty. He always has a say in games. He is capable of anything. A creator of huge moments, a record breaker. He scored a penalty. 
I think we should all calm down. He scored a penalty. To stay motivated at his age is so special. He walks on water, doesn't he? This is incredible nonsense. Absolutely incredible nonsense. Now look, he is most likely going to break Ali Dai's record of the most goals in international football. He's got 106, Dai has 109. He may not break it during these Euros, but he is going to break it. He will continue to play until he breaks it. Because it's all about him and his records. Because he thinks that they mount up and make him have a case versus Messi. But there is no case versus Messi. Messi is the greatest player of the generation and it's not close. Ronaldo might be the greatest goal scorer of the generation. But again, Messi has a claim towards that. But there's no competition between the two in terms of who's the better player. It's Messi and it's been Messi for well over a decade. Ronaldo's an incredible goal scorer. But as a, in terms of player, I wouldn't have him in my top 15 or 20 of all time. As the greatest goal scorer, he's top two or three, maybe top one. But as a player, I don't think he stacks up with Messi, Maradona, Pele, Cruyff, Puskas, players like that. I think Zidane was a better player. I think Ronaldinho was a better player. Paolo Maldini was a better player. Franco Baresi was a better player. As a goal scorer, he's in the very, very elite. He may be the best ever. But as a player, I just don't think he's there. He's an, obviously an incredible player. and He is one of the all-time greats. I just don't think he's as high on that kind of ladder as everybody else makes him out to be. That's just my opinion. You, I, look, I'm ha- it, it, this is completely subjective. But when I watch him play, I see a guy who only has one focus in the game. And that would be fine, but that's how he's always been. And he started out as a winger. And a winger's job is supposed to be, was when he started, remember, to create for others. He played wide in a 4-4-2 at United. But it was always about him and his numbers. He didn't care about the rest. At Real Madrid, the whole team was twisted to have him be the star. And that's fine. Because his goal-scoring ability is incredible. Now, he takes an awful lot of shots. An awful lot of shots. But he's on every free kick, despite the fact that he's a dreadful free kick taker. He's on every penalty despite the fact that Portugal have a better penalty taker. And he wants every single shot. We saw him have that major tantrum at Diogo Jota. Why wouldn't Jota shoot from there? He's closer to goal than Ronaldo and has just as open a shot as Ronaldo would have. Why wouldn't he shoot? He's on a stronger foot as well. Ronaldo would have been receiving the ball on his weaker foot. Now, he would have done that thing where he cuts back inside onto his right foot, but by then, you'll have another defender converging on you. Hungary can feel hard done by to have lost this game 3-0. They really can. In the second game, France beat Germany 1-0. A Mats Hummel's own goal. Really good ball from Pogba. Finds Lucas Hernandez, who's volleyed cross 
hits Mats Hummels, who's just all over the place defensively at the time. Poor body position, skies the ball into his own net past the helpless Manuel Nauer. It was a strange game. Germany dominated possession. Germany had more shots. Germany probably had the better chances overall. The only shot that France had on target was from outside the box, other than the own goal and the goal that was disallowed by Benzema, Um, which, by the way, was a little bit questionable as well. If Pogba has just played that pass a second earlier rather than taking the extra touch, it's a goal, no problem. I thought France should have had a penalty. I think Hummels made contact with Mbappe before he makes contact with the ball. I think it's a penalty, but it's really good recovery work from Hummels after he gets absolutely roasted by Mbappe. I thought France played pretty well in spells, but they're going to need to be better if they want to win this competition. For Germany, I don't really know what to make of them. I mean, the back three did okay. Um, Rudiger seemed to bite Pogba or at least have a little nip at him. That was a bit strange. Uh, Mats Hummels is so slow, so very, very slow, that that could be a problem for them as they go forward in this competition. I thought the midfield two of Cruz and Gundogan was a little bit repetitive. I would have liked to have seen somebody else in there. Now, the problem is that Goretzka is injured or has COVID. Is he injured as he have COVID? He's one or the other. He would have been a big a big help in the centre midfield in this game, just as somebody to drive forward from midfield. Kimmich at right wing back is probably the answer. Gosen's at left wing back. That's his best position. That's probably how you get the best balance. But I would like to see Goretzka, when he comes back, into the centre of midfield for one of those two. And personally, I would prefer it be for Tony Cruz. Um, Muller and Havertz behind Gnabry. Gnabry will cause defences problems with his pace, but he's better in wide areas. Havertz is better through the middle, but Muller is better than Havertz at this point. Now, I think Leroy Sané coming into the team would help. He didn't play well when he came on, but I do think he's the type of player that makes more of an impact from the start of games rather than coming on in games. Um, Pogba impressed me in terms of his leadership and his his drive, how much he wanted the ball and how he wanted to make things happen. Not everything came off for him, obviously. But if I was a Man United fan, I was watching that performance, I'd be really frustrated about why I don't see that Paul Pogba for Manchester United. That would that would bother me. Because that's not the same Pogba we see. Um, I thought ITV's coverage of this game was fantastic. Clive Tilsley and McCoist on commentary, a win all day. Vieira Keane and Wright in the studio, a win all day. Um, great back and forth. Good bit of banter, but some decent analysis as well. Pogba with some good insight on Pogba. Uh, sorry, Vieira with some good insight on Pogba. Keane asking, I think the right questions. why can't he do it for Man United? Why can't he do it for Man United? He just doesn't do it. He's had one good season out of five there. And at this point, United fans should be sick of it. Um... Copa America, obviously, uh, underway as well. No games last night in that competition. So tonight, no, tonight is an off night as well. It is tomorrow it comes back 
Uh, Colombia versus Venezuela is the is the game on Thursday. In the Euros, we do have three games today. We have Finland versus Russia. That's the first one. A draw probably puts the Finns through. Russia need to bounce back after a shocking performance against Belgium. I think we'd all like to see Finland get the result uh, and get through just for the story of it, but also to send the Russians packing after their behaviour at the first game where they refused to take a knee and their fans booed. I'd, I'd struggle to see how you'd support Russia unless you're from Russia. And if you're from Russia, listen to this, I apologise, but that's just how I feel on the matter. Uh, Turkey versus Wales. The Turks were dreadful against Italy. The Welsh were dreadful against Switzerland. Turkey have more individual quality. Wales have two potential match winners in Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. Neither of them played well against Switzerland. Neither of them offer anything off the ball. I wonder should they play one or the other. Or if they're going to play both, play Bale as a 9, Ramsey as a 10. Get two workers in the wide positions. Get two workers in centre midfield. The back four is fine. But maybe put eight workers behind the ball and let those two play up front and hope that when the ball gets to them that they can make something happen. Now, they'll probably stick with Kiefer Moore, who scored the goal, but he didn't play well against Switzerland. This is a tough game for, for the Welsh. Defeat and they're out. Simple as that. They play Italy in the last game. Defeat and they will be out. The Turks are more desperate, I would say, for this win, though because they want to claw back the damage done to their reputation with that shocking performance against the Italians. They're a better team than that. They're a much better team than they showed against Italy. And then the third game today is Italy, who I thought were the best team from match day one, up against Switzerland. I think you'd have to give the Italians um, the advantage in this one, obviously. Their attack played brilliantly in the first game. Berardi, Immobile and Insigne all in form. The midfield, Barella was great. Jorginho played very well. Locatelli was poor by his standards in the first half. Second half, much better, but still nowhere close to the level that he's capable of. Now, he is better in the number six position. Now, I think ideally, if you're picking an Italian midfield, you'd go Barella, Locatelli as the six, and then Verratti as the other eight. But Mancini loves Jorginho, so he will most likely keep his place in the team regardless. I think Breel and Bolo could cause the Italian back pair, Benucci and Cialini, some trouble with his pace and his directness. Those two can still defend with their eyes closed, but they're nowhere near the players they were five years ago. Physically, they're not, they're not there. They don't have the, the pace, the, the mobility anymore. They read the game better than anyone else at this competition. There are no two centre-backs in this competition who read the game better. They're still staggeringly good when things are comfortable for them. When the game's in front of them, where they're not been asked to turn and chase. But Mbolo could cause them some trouble. If he can use his pace and his power to get between them, he could cause them some trouble. Now, Cialini still loves the physical battle. He'll still want to get involved, but Benucci's never been all that keen on the physical side. He's Not, not that he's not, 
capable of it, but he's more of a cultured defender. You know, he likes to nip in, take the ball away at an interception rather than have to crunch into a tackle. Cellini always wants to tackle. He wants all the smoke. They're very different defenders. It's what's made them a great partnership for so long. And they have been. Like, those two are so underrated when we talk about great defenders in the history of the game. Like, when I see people say that Sergio Ramos was better than either of them, it drives me up the wall. When I see people say that Pique or Boateng or even Hummels were better than them, it's just nonsense. Those two and Diego Godin, along with, say, Thiago Silva and Vincent Company, who's probably a little bit older than them all, but those two, Godin and Silva, were the best def- defenders of their era. The best central defenders of their era. I'd even put Pepe into that mix, ahead of Hummels, Pique, Boateng, and certainly Ramos. Hummels is the best of the other group. He was a really good defender in his prime. Boateng was never a great defender. He was a really good ball player and he had great athleticism. Ramos was never a great defender. But he scored big goals, he's a great leader, and he was had a really good recovery pace. Piquet looked the part. But Carlos Pujol carried him up and down the field for years. By the time he became Barcelona's best defender, Barcelona were nowhere near as good defensively. But Bonucci and Cellini, they were great defenders. Great defenders. Be it in the back three with Barzagli or as a, as a pair. They were great. And I really hope if, if the rumours of Cellini leaving Juve are true this summer, I really hope he goes to Calgary and plays with Godin for a year because I just play a nice deep block, tuck the fullbacks in, put a ball winner in front of them and just have Godin and Cellini side by side. My two favourite defenders of the last the last generation. Um, I think you'd have to fancy the Italians. I fancy the, the Turks to beat Wales. And I'm, I'm hoping for at least a draw for Finland. At least a draw for Finland. Uh, but, you know, you never know. They might, they might be able to sneak a goal. They'll, they'll certainly defend well. And I don't know that Russia have anyone really capable, unless Moranchuk comes into the team, I'm not sure who they have that's capable of unlocking a defence. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into some of the news and the gossip. Right, welcome back. So, um... First bit of news, Danny Rose has signed a two-year deal with Watford after leaving Tottenham. Spent 14 years at Tottenham, loaned out to Watford in 09, Peterborough, Bristol, Sunderland, and obviously Newcastle in more recent times. Um, He has 29 England caps to his name. At one point, obviously, did establish himself as England's number one. Was arguably the best left back in in England for a couple of years, but it was short-lived and he did fall foul of of, uh, Jose Mourinho. So off to Watford he goes. He's still only 30. I think it's a good signing for Watford. If I was Leeds, I would have been in for Danny Rose. I think think Danny Rose could have brought something to Leeds. They they do need help at left back. 
he'd be better than anyone they currently have. And I think even if you brought him in and then brought in a younger one to learn from him for a year or two and then take over, I think that would have worked. I think people like Danny Rose, Fabian Delph, old Leeds players who sort of missed the window to play in the Premier League with Leeds because they were going through all their problems would be beneficial to Leeds because they they just care a lot more. I think Danny Rose would care more if he was at Leeds than certain other players that they can bring in. Um, but it's a great signing for Watford. They do need to get more experience in the team in terms of you know quality Premier League players, not just old players, but players that have actually done something in the game. So it's a good start for them. Hopefully it goes well. I'll be interested to see how Watford looked this season. Um, didn't watch a whole bunch of them last year. But uh, they've got some talent there, and uh, Danny Rose is a good signing. Brighton have agreed a club record £25 million deal to sign Stuttgart forward Nicolas Gonzalez. Gonzalez is the best friend of Alexis McAllister. Um, last summer, Brighton tried to sign him, couldn't agree a deal with Stuttgart, and he ended up staying. He extended his contract in, in November, but it included a buyout clause. This is the buyout clause. He's 23. He won't blow you away in terms of goals scored, but in terms of output and what he projects to be, he could be really, really special. Now, he scored 15 goals in their uh, season in the second Bundesliga, only six this past season, but only played in 17 games, had some injury problems. Super talented player. If Brighton can get the best of him, him and McAllister together, him and Trossard together, him and Mopay together would be really exciting. But I don't think this answers Brighton's biggest need, which is an out-and-out number nine. He's not a number nine. He's an inside forward. I don't think he fills the void that they have. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they can get this deal across the line because Fiorentina had a deal agreed or a contract or a fee agreed for him as well. So they couldn't get the deal done. I think the McAllister chip might help, but we'll have to wait and see. I'll be really interested to see actually how Brighton play next year. If they sell Ben White, and he's been linked with Arsenal, and I think Arsenal will be mental to pay 40 to 50 million for him, especially when they own William Saliba, who is better than him. I wonder would Brighton go to a 4 4 2? Now, Lamptey's not ideal as a right back in 4 4 2. He's not particularly good defensively. He's very, very small. They will still need a left back, but maybe Karbaunik, the young Pole, can play there. But again, he's more of a wing back than a full back. But you can go Webster and Dunk. I'm not a huge fan of the goalkeeper, but he's still young, Sanchez, so he's still got plenty of development to come. You'd expect they'll lose Basima, but maybe not. Maybe they manage to hang on to Basima and play him and either Jacob Motor or Davy Proper in a two. McAllister is a 10. Gonzalez off the right, maybe Trossard off the left and buy that number nine. That's something that could work. That is something that could work. But they still need that number nine. That's the big thing for me. Even if they sign Gonzalez, they still need that big that that number nine who can get them goals consistently. He'll create a whole bunch, but I don't know that he's at this point going to score the fifteen to eighteen Premier League goals that they need someone to get them. But super talented player. 
Biggest news of the day is that the Premier League fixtures have been uh, been announced. So the opening day, newly promoted Brentford will host Arsenal, Burnley against Brighton, Chelsea versus Crystal Palace, Everton versus Southampton, Leicester versus Wolves, Manchester United versus Leeds is a tasty one on the opening day. You'd imagine that one gets moved to the Sunday. Uh, Newcastle versus West Ham. West Ham getting a chance for a little bit of retribution. That defeat to Newcastle probably cost them top four this season. Norwich against Liverpool. Norwich fans can rest easy knowing Luis Suarez is not going to be in the vicinity to score a hat-trick. Spurs against Man City is the big one. And it could be even bigger if Harry Kane makes that move north. If Harry Kane makes that move north, I mean, that that's... That's a whole day TV event because Sky will absolutely milk every last bit they can out of that. And then Watford versus Aston Villa. Um, I suppose that's the Ashley Young derby, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a really interesting first day. Some really good games. Like I said, the the Man United Leeds game stands out. I think Leicester Wolves could be a lot of fun. Wolves under Bruno Lage, or Lage, Lage, I think it is. Um, that could be an interesting game because his his teams or his Benfica team were really exciting to watch. And obviously, Spurs versus Man City is the big one. Another f- set of fixtures that everybody sort of looks for is the the Boxing Day, St Stephen's Day. It's Aston Villa Chelsea, Brighton versus Brentford, the Analytics Derby, Burnley Everton. Liverpool leads, Klopp versus Bielsa on boxing. That that'll be fun. Man City Leicester should be a belter. Newcastle versus Man United. Norwich against Arsenal. Spurs Crystal Palace. West Ham Southampton, and Wolves Watford. So I think three entertaining games there: Villa Chelsea, Liverpool Leeds, Man City Leicester. I think they'll all be. Well worth a watch. And then the final round of fixtures come the end of the season. Arsenal versus Everton. Brentford versus Leeds. You wouldn't fancy if you're Brentford needing the three points to stay up. Uh, Brighton-West Ham. Burnley-Newcastle. Chelsea-Watford. Crystal Palace-Man United. Leicester-Southampton. Liverpool-Wolves. Man City, Aston Villa, and Norwich versus Spurs. The FA Cup final will be played on the 14th of May. There will be no Premier League fixtures on that day. All Premier League fixtures that weekend will either be played Friday, Sunday, or Monday. The FA Cup final, rightly so, has been given its own day. Now, in truth, it should be the final game of the English season, but because of the way... The fixtures are working. It can't be. Um, we will have an international break at the beginning of September. God knows why. We'll have one in October and we'll have one in November. I think then we get a break from international football. I want to say until March. But obviously AFCON takes place next season or is slated to take place. It may not because of what's going on. Um, But... If it does, I think the the start date is to be the 14th of January and the final will be either the 5th or 6th of February. The Premier League fixtures, the way they've worked out, there are games on the 1st 
the 15th, the 22nd, and then the 8th and 9th. So, in all likelihood, you'll only have players going to the AFCON missing two or three games. They'll miss the ones on the 15th and the 22nd for sure. And then just depending on when their team gets knocked out, they could miss the 8th eighth or ninth. If they're knocked out in the group stage or the quarterfinals, they're probably back for those fixtures. If they get to the final, they'll miss those ones. They should be back then on the 12th. But say for Liverpool, um, Salah, Mane, Naby Keita, they'll miss Brentford, they'll miss Crystal Palace. And they could miss Leicester on the 9th. But you'd imagine they'll be able to play on the 1st against Chelsea. You'd imagine that'll be fine and they'll just fly out after the game. But we'll wait and see. You've got the FA Cup in January as well. I think the semi-finals of the League Cup are in January too. So they, those are more the games they'll miss rather than league games. They'll only miss likely two, but maybe three league games. Um, that's kind of it for news. It is a quiet time at the moment, obviously. The Euros are the focus of everything. Not a whole lot been done publicly, transfer-wise. Now, of course, the in the nose on Twitter will tell you that every club is signing 43 players. I've recently found an in the know on, an ITK on Twitter who is just hilarious. Uh, positions themselves not as an I, not as an ITK, but an ITS inside the system, <laughs> and thinks that they know the dealings of every football club. This person said that Liverpool were pushing hard for Rodrigo de Paul. Um, Liverpool had no interest in Rodrigo de Paul. They've also linked Liverpool to Pats and Daka, who I wouldn't imagine there's a whole bunch of interest in. Who else? Oh, Koulibaly. Yeah, that's one that was dismissed years ago. Uh, they have no interest. And there was somebody else. But every time they get something wrong, they just come up with an excuse. So, for example, they said Liverpool were pushing hard for Rodrigo de Paul. Then they started linking Rodrigo de Paul to someone else. So I asked, well, you know, but you said Liverpool were pushing hard. Oh, yeah, they don't want to leave Italy. Italian players never want to leave the homeland. So I then pointed out that, you know, that's quite a lot of mental gymnastics, especially considering the player is Argentinian and not Italian and has played in other countries, including Argentina and Spain in the past. No, no, I was assured this player only wanted to play in Serie A. Well, now it turns out that he's agreed a deal to go to Atletico Madrid, who last time I checked, last time I checked, didn't play in Serie A. But of course, there's excuses and there's this and there's that and there's the other thing. And nonsense, utter nonsense. And I've also been able to track the journalists that they steal their information from. Um, very much like the spoofer with the catchphrase. Even words, their tweets, like the spoofer with the catchphrase. Um, by the way, the spoofer is up to his old antics yesterday. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Manchester City have completed the signing of Matinho from Fluminese. Official and confirmed. Yet, I checked the Man City website. I checked their Twitter account. Checked their Facebook page. Even checked their Instagram. Hasn't been confirmed. But according to... El Spoofer, he's the man that knows, apparently. 
I did also note uh, he's doing a 24-hour question and answer session about Euro 2020. Ask him anything. This guy doesn't watch any football. This guy sits on the internet all day trolling around with his lowly paid interns looking for reports to steal and publish as his own. Looking for news that he can pilfer. Looking for any sort of hints at transfers from one or two sources that he then puts together and says, you know, in, in his usual ways that they're talking. Utter, utter drivel. These spoofers need to stop. Into the gossip we go. England winger Raheem Sterling expects to stay at Manchester City next season despite being linked with a move away. City would be mad to, to let him go. Went over this yesterday. It would be absolutely foolish to let him go. Uh, the Athletic claimed that Bernardo Silva would like to leave Man City this summer, but Pep Guardiola is reluctant to allow him to leave. I'd be reluctant as well. He's a tremendous player. Um, it's not surprising he wants to go, though, because when you look at City's best eleven. He's just not in it. Unfortunately, he's just not in it. Um, Manchester United have offered Cristiano Ronaldo seventeen million a year to return to the club from Juventus in a deal that could see France midfielder Paul Pogba move the other way. I, I mean. I, I can see it. I, I can see Pogba going back to Juventus. I could see United getting Ronaldo. And I think getting Ronaldo kind of makes sense for them. But there's no swap deal for him and Pogba because Pogba's worth well over double what he is at the moment. And I don't imagine that United are, you know, are going to be open to a straight swap deal. Um... 17 million a year is also very, very low for Cristiano. Now, a lot of his money comes from his image rights and other stuff like that, but Juventus are paying him, like, close enough to what Barca pay, pay Messi. And Barca pay Messi a million a week just in wages. And when everything else is factored in, he's earning close to 100 million a year. And Ronaldo's probably, when everything else is factored in, earning close to about 70 million a year. So 17 million is not going to get the job done. Um, Juventus are looking to hold talks with Aaron Ramsey's representatives as they try to offload the 30-year-old Wales international, although there has been no contact with his former club Arsenal. Um, yeah, nobody should be looking to take on Aaron Ramsey at this point. Not on that contract, not with the money he earns, and certainly not with the level of play that he's capable of it anymore. Everton have held further talks with Rafa Benitez over the club's vacant managerial position. Despite positive talks with Nuno Espirito Santo. Um, I've said before, Everton fans won't accept Rafa. They just won't. I don't think Liverpool fans would have an... Liverpool fans would be gutted by it, but I don't think they'd have an issue with it. I don't think they'd hold it against Rafa. But Everton fans would hold as Liverpool passed against them. If the talks with Nuno were positive, why is the deal not done yet? Like, there's, there's clearly some issue where he's held in-depth talks with a couple of clubs already before he gets to Everton and they've all just said no this is not this is not for us Wolves Portuguese goalkeeper Rui Patricio has agreed a move to Roma uh, I wouldn't imagine he has 
I would imagine that he would be interested in the move, but I wouldn't imagine he's agreed to a whole lot of much considering he's currently at the Euros and isn't going to be focused on anything else. Like, regardless of everything else, he is only focused on one thing, and that is winning games for Portugal to try and win this competition. Barcelona have held talks with the representatives of Usman Dembele about extending his contract, but no progress was made after the first meeting. They may just have to cut bait and sell him. It's a shame. and It hasn't worked for him, but he is 24 now. And after four years at the club, he's not a guaranteed starter. He hasn't developed to the level that we would hope. Guys just informed me that Marco Arnautovic has been banned for one game after his uh, outburst in his celebration where he was abusive towards a couple of the North Macedonian players. Uh, it's probably just. It's probably a just punishment. Um, there were some some claims made about what he did and what he said that were unsubstantiated. The hand gesture doesn't mean the same thing where he's from or where his family are from as it does in the US. Uh, so, yeah, I think one game is probably fair. Arsenal are monitoring Ajax goalkeeper Andre Onana, but have yet to make an offer as rival interest go- grows in the 29-year-old Cameroon international who is currently serving a nine-month doping violation ban. He's a really, really talented goalkeeper. And if the, if it's true that his, his fee is going to be somewhere in the region of five, was it five million or three million? Something ridiculously low. I think he's had a contract next summer. Then you'd be mad not to buy him. You'd be absolutely mad not to buy him. So he was banned for 12 months. It was just reduced by the court of arbitration to nine months. So it will run until November. Now, he obviously can't partake in any football, um, organized football activity. So he can't train with your club. But that's not to say that you couldn't hire a goalkeeping coach who just works with him privately. You know, you couldn't, you could bring a couple of academy players around the gaff and work with him separately. You really could. Nobody's going to find out. Uh, I think he'd be, if, if he's available for that price at 25, not even scratching the surface of what he can be, you'd be nuts to, to, to not bring him in. He's a better goalkeeper than Bernard Leno. Maybe you have to go the first half of the season with your backup. Just sign a good backup. Sell Leno, sign Onana, sign a good backup. Not Matt Ryan, a good backup. Vlachlik, the Slovakian goalkeeper, he's isn't he on a free this summer? I'm almost certain he's in a free this summer. Um, sign him. He's on Sevilla. Get him in a free. He'll cover the first six months. Anana comes in at Christmas or whatever, takes over. Job done. You'll probably make a good profit on it as well. Anderlecht have rejected a bid of $13.5 million from Arsenal for 21-year-old Belgian midfielder Albert Sambi Lakonga. He's very talented. They apparently want close to $18 million. Uh, you'd imagine that they'll get there. You'd imagine that Arsenal will get there and will make that signing. It seems like they've gone for him rather than Yves Basima, which is a little bit of a strange one. Now, maybe they go for both. Maybe they view Lekonga more as a long-term piece rather than someone to come in and start now, which would be 
understandable to be fair he is only 21 but he's very very talented plays a centre midfielder or is that holding role um he's developed really well over the last couple of seasons and was one of the few bright spot bright spots in a pretty dreadful Anderlecht team under Vincent Company. Company's not a good manager. We're going to be able to say that early about him. Aston Villa are keen on re-signing into Milan defender Ashley Young. So that's at least three Premier League clubs now, I think, that are interested in him. Burnley, Watford and Villa and Inter want to keep him. So he's got options. Fair play, he's got options. Uh, Pat Sandaka is very keen to join Liverpool this summer. So am I. I think we've got about the same chance. Uh, Atletico Madrid are expected to beat Liverpool to the signing of Udinese and Argentina forward Rodrigo de Paul. Liverpool are not in for Rodrigo de Paul and have never been in for Rodrigo de Paul. I, I would struggle to think of many players who would be a worse tactical fit in a Liverpool team than Rodrigo de Paul in how Jurgen Klopp sets the team up. I can't think of many. He's a fine player. He's a good player. But he's just, there's a re like I said before, there's a reason he's been at Udinese for quite a while. Now, he'll do well under Simeone as long as he works. But I'm not really sure where Simeone is going to use him. I struggle to see where Simeone is going to fit him. And the spoofer said that his arrival means Saul will leave. They play totally different roles. So I don't, I don't know if that's true either. The spoofer is the only one really pushing that this, the whole Saul will leave thing. Whether that's... Because his agent has asked him to or not, I don't know. Uh, Brighton are keen to extend Danny Welbeck's stay at the club and are in talks with extending his contract. I mean, foolishness. Uh, France winger Kingsley Coleman, who has been linked to Manchester United, is unlikely to leave Bayern Munich as he will be part of Julian Nagelsmann's plans and the German club won 60 million. I think they want... They kind of want 45 to 50, was what they initially said. Then they said 100. 60 is good value for a player of his caliber at 25. Though I'm not really sure that I trust gold.com on information uh, about anything, really. Sevilla sporting director Monchi has played down speculation linking Sergio Ramos with a return to Sevilla and says he thinks he is in talks about staying with Real Madrid. Uh, Sevilla should avoid him at all costs. The last thing you want is Jules Conde being corrupted by Sergio Ramos. He is on a path where he could become one of the great defenders in the game. Ramos will help him veer from that path by telling him that it's okay to just constantly jump in, use last-ditch nonsense. Learn to defend properly. Continue to learn to defend properly. Scott Parker is out as a Fulham manager and could be on his way to Bournemouth. I think Fulham fans have finally accepted that this was the right move. It should have happened a long time ago. I mean, he should have been sacked halfway through the season. He just did an, an embarrassingly poor job. Uh, Fulham have drawn up a list of potential replacements, which includes Steve Cooper, Valerian Ishmael, and former Fulham assistant coach Javier Pereira. Uh, Steve Cooper would be a really good appointment. Ishmael obviously did brilliantly with Barnsley this year. He's been linked to Crystal Palace as well, so keep an eye out for that one. And finally, Norwich City and Southampton are the leading candidates 
to sign Blackburn Rover striker Adam Armstrong, who has one year left on his Ewood Park contract. He is a very, very talented player. Another one that Newcastle messed up on, but uh, 29 goals in 43 games last season, 17 and 48 the season before. Rarely gets hurt. Can play central or wide on his own or in a two. Really talented. Yeah, I think that would be a quality signing for either. Uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of strikers um, from Blackburn, did anyone else notice that Ben Brereton uh, is Ben Brereton Diaz when he plays for Chile? His mother's surname is Diaz, and he's decided to use it just to, I suppose, feel more Chilean. Uh, but congrats to him. I mean, I think it's great that he's taken the opportunity to go and play for Chile. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, when you have the option, why wouldn't you? Uh, I just did find it quite funny that uh, he's using Brereton Diaz. But best of luck to him. Uh, he's a player I do like. I thought he'd be better by now. When he came through at Forest, I thought he had real potential. He had a couple of poor seasons at Blackburn. But did look much better this past season. Uh, which has obviously gone on to help him win his call-up into the Chile team. So best of luck to him. I hope he does really, really well. And that's it. That is our show for today. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks to Guy. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.